the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in today's episode, this is our slightly delayed St. Patrick's Day episode. We were going to have it as a St. Patrick's Day episode, but then we realised that this might cause an international incident because if this is a reflection of Irish culture in general, then I think we're all in huge trouble. What we're dealing with is 1993's Leprechaun. Yes, it's time to celebrate different cultures from around the world. This week, the least representative portrayal of Irish culture in the entire world ever. It is writer-director Mark Jones's 1993 horror movie, Leprechaun. So the synopsis I'm going to read for you to tell you a little bit about the plot of Leprechaun, even though it really does not need much of an introduction, is written on the IMDb synopsis by Peter Zivuyas. Apologies if I've not pronounced that correctly. When Dan O'Grady returns to the US after stealing some Irish leprechaun's pot of gold, he thinks he can settle down and enjoy his newfound wealth. He thought wrong. The leprechaun followed him and O'Grady barely gets away with his life. Having locked the little monster in his basement, ten years later, JD and his spoiled daughter Tori move in. By accident, the leprechaun is released and almost immediately the annoying creature starts to look for his gold, not displaying any respect for human life. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yes, that pretty much sums up the movie and kind of gives you a hint as to exactly how little action there is in the movie, but we'll come to that shortly. Leprechaun is a movie that neither of us had seen for quite a long time, and we will cover whether the years have been kind to it or not. I think you can probably guess from this opening bit of blurb that we're spilling to you about it but how did you first come to watch this cinematic gem early i was in the video store and i would literally every saturday go to the video store with my parents because they had to actually rent these films out for me because i was underage and i just put that out there into the universe i would just scour the shelves and just go based off covers or titles that i'd heard of that i was quite keen to see each week i would rent out two movies and this week i chose texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> and leprechaun <laughs> don't judge me i don't know i was just trying to open up my mind with horror at the time and literally just went off the cover so i remember I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre first and 
it was a complete adrenaline rush. I absolutely loved it. Thought it was one of the most suspenseful horror films I had ever seen. I had an amazing time with that film. Then I put on Leprechaun. And bizarrely enough, 13-year-old me had a great time with that movie too. <laughs> I really enjoyed Leprechaun for what it was at the time. But I feel on each rewatch over the years, nothing has ever felt like that first watch. And I think it is very much a one-time watch film to appreciate it. The years haven't been kind. It still has its quirky, charming moments, specifically in Warwick Davis's performance as the Leprechaun. He has some great one-liners. He looks like he's having a blast in this movie. And I do love some of the death scenes still. They're, they're super silly, but I just think whether I'm just getting old and I have less patience for this, but I just didn't really enjoy this movie as much as I did 20 odd years ago. But how about you, Darren? What was your first recollection of coming across Leprechaun? <laughs> well, I'm pretty certain that I watched this probably late one Friday or Saturday night after having been to the pub and having imbibed several pints and then getting home and putting horror movies on, as I did quite a lot back in the day. And one of these was definitely Leprechaun. And I'm pretty certain that in my extremely hammered state, I had quite a good time with Leprechaun. I think the more sober you get, the worse this movie is. I think if you've got a room full of people who are under the influence of alcohol, I think you probably still have quite a good time with this because you don't really have to concentrate a lot on what's going on. There's not a huge amount of plot to tax you with. So if you're with a drunken group of friends, I think there's still some value in this movie. But as you say, the years have not been kind to this. It really does show its age now. It shows how horror movies have moved on. I do take the point that As a 13-year-old, I think there is something to be got out of this movie because it was initially proposed as a kind of a Gremlins-type horror movie for sort of younger kids and sort of maybe up to teens. And there was this drive to make it a PG-13, which is where all the comedic elements have come from. And Warwick Davis's performance is very much geared to the the laugh end of the scale. He's not really trying to scare you until much later in the movie. But of course, the studio got involved. Trimark, it was their first theatrical release and they were umming and ahhing about where to pitch it. And ultimately, they decided to go for the R-rated audience because they tested both versions of the movie and the R-rated cut went down better than the PG-13 rated cut. So they reshot some of the movie and added in a bit more gore and you can kind of tell because it seems sweet and innocent and quite fun and quite kid friendly for a lot of it but then you'll get some fairly bloody sequences and you'll get the f word so it feels like it's two movies fighting for space which is kind of a shame because it's too nasty for kids but it's not nasty enough for grown-ups yeah, it doesn't quite get the balance right. I think, I think, um, yeah, I definitely agree with what you say there. And initially they wanted to pitch it as a serious horror film and I don't think that would have worked in its favour at all. I just can't imagine this character played by Warwick Davis and the way he plays the character 
say it's very tongue-in-cheek I say he looks like he's having so much fun in the role he's very menacing and mischievous and I just can't see that done in a serious way especially the way this franchise developed I mean there is eight movies in this franchise we, we will get to that <laughs> I just think they made the right choice taking it down the dark comedy route because I think it is very watchable with that tone to it and of course it is also famous for being Jennifer Aniston's first film role the movie was shot in 1991 but wasn't released until 1993 and of course a year later Jennifer Aniston found worldwide fame for playing Rachel Green in Friends and ironically her character in this movie is almost like a pre-Friends Rachel and I decided while I was re-watching it last night I'm just going to think of it in my head that that is Rachel before she meets the gang in Central Perth. Yeah exactly she is proto-Rachel in this movie she's a little bit spoiled she's very materialistic so she's everything that Rachel Green was at the start of Friends. It's not a great leap from the character that she plays in Leprechaun to the character she plays in Friends. She's good in this movie. I like Jennifer Aniston in this movie. She is apparently really embarrassed about Leprechaun. If you're going to be embarrassed about a movie, Jen, there are far worse movies to be embarrassed about that actors have got on their CVs and don't bat an eyelid. If you're embarrassed about being in Leprechaun, don't. Because it's not a terrible movie. It's a bit dull. Not an awful lot happens in it. It's fairly silly. It doesn't really take its premise to anywhere like the extreme that it could. But as a debut movie, I mean, some actors have been in some absolute shit as debut movies go. Far worse than Leprechaun. So I think that you don't have to strike it from your CV. You don't have to not want to talk about this movie. It's perfectly okay. It's not a classic. I'm not a huge fan of it. But I'm sure there are lots of people out there that do like Leprechaun. I'm sure there are. I don't think the critics had such a good time with it. But hey, you know, critics don't have good times with horror movies. Critics certainly don't have good times with horror movies that are this silly. Because for some of them, it's just beneath them to review this sort of stuff. Hey, it's a movie. Review it. Don't complain about it. If you're writing for The Guardian, don't go to every horror movie and then say, oh, this is one star because it's a horror movie. I haven't got a particular axe to grind with The Guardian, apart from that they can't fucking review horror movies properly. But that's a completely different topic. But yeah, it coasted by on the reputation of Jennifer Aniston. It was perfectly positioned when it got released. And then the VHS sales of it were massive, apparently, on the back of her appearing in Friends. So, you know, she made it a success. Definitely. And I think she delivers a really great performance in this. She is a very strong final girl. I do enjoy her performance. And I think it's good that they had an actress of her calibre in this to kind of hold the movie together. Because if they'd had someone who couldn't act, I think that would have made it even worse. Yes. So like the actors are trying in this movie. It's like they're definitely trying to create something and deliver something that isn't a bad movie. And I think that's the thing. I think the premise is so wacky that it kind of falls into that creature feature, like maybe Troll 2 vibes to a point, but then doesn't quite. And then Leprechaun is a villain. He does get mentioned in the same breath as all the great ones, the iconic ones like Freddy, Jason, etc. And that brings me to, there was plans at one stage after the release or um, before the release even of when Freddy versus Jason was 
a thing that they were going to make a leprechaun versus another horror villain. And the ones that I managed to find, these were the ideas that were brought to the table. There would have been Leprechaun versus Chucky, and I think that would have been quite fun. That would have worked, both pint-sized villains. Interestingly, Leprechaun versus Candyman. Tonally, I cannot see that working. That is a very bizarre choice to pit those two villains against each other. I can just imagine Candyman grabbing him with his hook. And then, I don't know, maybe Leprechaun would claw his face. I just don't know how that would have been very weird. The next option was Wishmaster. I can kind of see that just because it's the concept of mythology and mythological creatures, um, wishes, and that kind of thing. So that could have worked, but again, I'm not 100% sure I could have imagined it. And this is one that I'm not sure if I've made this up myself, but I do recall this from back in the day. There was discussion of Leprechaun versus Pinhead. <laughs> Now, that could have just been a fan theory, people just chatting. I don't know, but I honestly thought that film was kind of discussed at one point. And also, Leprechaun versus Michael Myers, I swear that was a thing at one point. I think people just, you know, make these things up as they go along and say, oh, yeah, this movie's happening. And it was probably all fan concepts, but always fun to think about. Yeah. Leprechaun versus Pinhead is a bizarre one because I don't think Pinhead would have stood for his arse in about. Pinhead's a very serious horror figure and takes his horror craft very seriously. If he'd have just seen the Leprechaun pissing about on that little tricycle, I think that would have been it. I mean, it would have been a very short movie, Pinhead versus Leprechaun. Like the idea of Leprechaun versus Chucky, that probably yeah. did have some legs, very small legs, obviously, but would have had some legs. Yeah, I mean, you do get theories swirling around when you when you do things like Freddy versus Jason, Alien versus Predator, so you get iconic characters facing off against each other. I think Leprechaun's a bit strange because as a horror icon, he's not especially terrifying. He's more silly and playful. He's a little bit evil. But in this movie, most of his scheming is played for laughs. I mean, some of it is fairly dark and the odd bit is quite nasty. But he's more a figure of fun than something to be terrified of. I get where they're coming from in terms of why they pitched it this way. And I think if it had gone for hard driving horror, would the character have sold it? You know, you've got this little guy who's jigging about and sort of doing all sorts of culturally insensitive things which Irish people pr probably think you know this this guy's getting on my fucking nerves I mean a Texas Chainsaw Massacre double bill with Leprechaun that is a doozy of a double bill I would have <laughs> never put those two movies together I, I probably would quite like to try that actually and see what the effect is even though I've just seen Leprechaun it's one of those movies where I sat there for 90 minutes and just thought this this is so creaky and a bit dull and I kind of know what's going to happen and they're dragging it out a bit. But at the end of it, I thought, in a weird way, I kind of enjoyed that as well because it's heart's in the right place. It's not a great movie, but it does quite a lot of things right. Some of the set pieces are really good. The bit where he's on the tricycle is hilarious. I mean, it's only like three seconds of the movie, but it's him speeded up riding this tricycle 
it's worth seeing the movie just for that bit. That bit and the little car he's driving along that breaks the speed trap with the policeman. So there's imagination in this movie. And there's lots and lots of horror touchstones where everybody thinks that this leprechaun is something else. It gets mistaken for a cat at one point. They think it's a cat that's attacking people. <laughs> they think it's a bear that's attacking people at some point. They think it's a possum that's attacking people at some point. So there's lots and lots of people who are very stupid, who are completely oblivious to the fact that there's this malevolent little creature trying to get his pot of gold back. Um, in terms of Irish stereotyping, they go for it big time straight off the bat. Daniel O'Grady comes into frame, drains a bottle of Jameson, and then goes on about all this Irish mythology about pots of gold and leprechauns. And it's like within two minutes, it's like, well, somebody obviously has looked at uh, an Irish tourist video and has tried to load the movie with Irish references from that kind of, you know, the things that you used to see in cinema ads where it was like, come to Ireland, and they'd like, you know, rolling green fields, little pubs, that sort of thing. Whether the guy who wrote it has ever been to Ireland, who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it was very over-exaggerated Irish stereotypes at the beginning of the film. It was bordering on... No, it wasn't even bordering on, it was cringeworthy. <laughs> like, it has not aged well, it's dated. And then... I felt at the beginning of the movie, it doesn't build up the tension well. And I know this is a comedy, but I felt that they did reveal Leprechaun way too soon. And I think it would have worked best if we just got the idea of his presence being there, but not actually seeing him until later on, because the reveal could have been just so much more fun. And I think that anticipation of, oh, what's he going to look like? And I kind of like that he could mimic voices. That was quite fun. That was, that was quite a fun element of the character. But yeah, he's revealed too soon and then there's kind of no build-up. You just know where this is going. Yeah. And then, of course, Daniel O'Grady didn't do a great job because he just, like, put him in a box, which <laughs> someone could easily open. And they do. So, yeah, and they do. And then all the uh, hell breaks loose and shenanigans and stuff but yeah those scenes especially the tricep i will never forget running that back and just laughing like i watched that just moment on loop because it was it is so funny the car i just love how he's just cruising around in that car and the police officer mistakes him for a child and it's like seriously he's like take that mask off and we're just like oh my god this police officer is so dumb this is really unintentionally hilarious yeah, it's the it's clearly the stupidest town in America that this is set in because nobody realizes that the leprechaun is any threat apart from the main few characters. You have to buy into the silliness, and I guess if you don't, then it's just going to annoy you. But there's lots and lots of weird sequences. There's a there's a point at which the leprechaun is on roller skates, hanging onto the back of a pickup truck. Now Warwick Davis is actually a pretty good skater, apparently and did that stunt himself, there's a point where he actually goes through a fence. But the fence was over a patch of gravel, and basically he said that he couldn't skate across the last bit. He basically had to sort of jump and run and launch himself for the last bit. Despite all the stunts that Warwick Davis had to do himself, because there was an issue getting the sort of a stunt double for Warwick Davis, there were a couple of things. I think Deep Roy did some of the stunts for him. But... Regardless of the fact that he did most of the stunts himself, he was pretty much the only stunt person on Leprechaun that didn't get injured in some way. 
somebody got their nose broken when there's the go-kart versus the pickup truck collision. So there was lots and lots of stuntmen kind of minorly injured on Leprechaun, apart from Warwick Davis, who pretty much walked out of the whole thing unscathed, which is a good thing to know. I do like some of the character traits of the Leprechaun, the fact that he's got this thing about shining shoes, and that's used as a distraction later in the plot so that one of the characters can get away. You've got the other characters throwing shoes in his direction and he can't not shine the shoes. So while he's distracted by making the shoes look lovely, somebody manages to get away. So I'm not saying that this is badly written because there's lots and lots of stuff that shows that somebody at least put some thought into this movie. But the lack of incident in it, there's a very low body count, which kind of also points to the fact that it was originally intended to be a kid's movie. And some of the kills, I mean, the very low number of kills, the kills seem kind of unnecessarily bloody for this sort of movie. I mean, they're not over the top particularly, but they don't really seem fitting for this sort of movie either. They just seem a little bit too nasty for this sort of stuff. There's a bit with an eyeball, which you just think, that's kind of unnecessary. You get a bit of, it's not like Lucio Fulci sort of eyeball trauma, but it's still fairly disgusting in a 15 rated movie, which it is over here. It was a obviously an R rated movie in the States of 15 here at the moment. I don't want to come down too hard on this movie because as clunky as it is, it's quite sweet and everybody's trying hard. And I don't really want to bash it for any of that stuff. I know what you mean. I do enjoy the pogo stick death. <laughs> it's so menacing. He is just like sort of singing a nursery rhyme. And isn't it? He played pogo on my lung as he's yeah. basically feeling this yeah. poor guy's chest with a pogo stick just like jumping for joy. And I know what you mean. It, it, again, it's it's the, the tonal shift with it because it's a comedy, but the death scenes are quite sadistic in a lot of ways and he's getting that joy from it but we're still laughing it's a very odd kind of vibe but I think the elements I enjoyed of it that always stuck with me I still do enjoy about it and obviously I just don't think it holds up as well as it could have it's not an iconic horror film by any means but it has its merits but it's not one that I think I would want to go back to I think if we hadn't decided to cover it for this episode I wouldn't have necessarily gone back to the movie at all which brings me to the sequels now I have seen Leprechaun 2 can't really remember a lot about it but I have seen it but it's never one that whereas some other horror franchises like I needed to see all the installments this one I've really not touched with a barge ball or a pogo stick to be quite honest so eight movies Let's go through and we have Leprechaun 2 from 1994. Then in 1995, a third one was churned out, which I believe is set in Las Vegas. It's kind of like the Sharknado franchise, really. We're going in that kind of direction. Yeah, kind here. of. Yeah, you've got to get to Vegas at some point. <laughs> then um, this does sound quite entertaining. In 1997, there was Leprechaun 4 in space, <laughs> which every movie has to go into space at some point too. Absolutely. Now, the next one, I haven't seen the full movie, but I've seen the musical sequence from it, and that brings me a lot of joy to this day. I feel I don't need to see the full movie, just that scene. From 2000, Leprechaun in the Hood. 
left in the hood come to do no good that is just all you need from that movie and then in 2003 we had leprechaun back to the hood and then in 2014 wwe decided to remake or reboot the leprechaun franchise but took a very serious direction with it so it's leprechaun origins i've heard this film is terrible and again i'm not really that interested in seeing it and then uh, in 2018 we had leprechaun returns which basically rebooted the franchise even the original actor who plays ozzy came back for it but apparently he gets killed off they were trying to go for a more halloween vibe with this you know, I, I suppose once one franchise reboots, they all feel that they have to go in the same direction. Yeah. It wasn't Warwick Davis playing Leprechaun, though, in, in this movie. So I think he was kind of, like, retired from wanting to play that role. So, But, yeah, I've heard it's quite fun, but it's not necessarily... Yeah. But, again, it's like, on Wikipedia, it's still saying the future is there was a crossover with the Candyman films in development. <laughs> I don't Ken. get that at all because you've got no. you've got Candyman with all that kind of social weight and that yeah. kind of background, that historical context to why Candyman's been persecuted, and then you put him against the leprechaun. You kind of think, I mean, it's culturally insensitive on a number of different levels. That if you put Candyman against leprechaun, I mean, there's going to be riots basically if you put them together because it's a very serious-minded franchise colliding with a franchise which, you know, yes, they've tried to be serious, but it, it never works. It's possibly one of the silliest horror franchises out there, trying to go toe-to-toe with one of the more socially conscious and weighty horror franchises. So I don't see how that can work. It's just going to be a car crash. I'm kind of hoping that they might try it just to see what the end result is but my god it's probably going to be the sort of thing that you're going to have to watch through your fingers for most of it and not because it's scary it's just like oh christ i don't believe they've done this it's an interesting franchise yeah as you say in space you've got to go to space at some point every franchise worth its salt ends up in space the fact that it's just kept going well it indicates that there's people out there that want to see more leprechaun stuff and why not it's fun i do like some of the odd jokes in it as well the really obvious jokes in this movie like the decorators in the movie are part of a company called three guys that paint you know <laughs> it's a it's a silly joke but it made me laugh and also it always reminds me of the fact that garth from wayne's world is terrified of the leprechaun there's a bit in Wayne's World 2 that kind of came off Saturday Night Live, but they're going through movies and uh, Wayne is impersonating the leprechaun. He's shining a torch in his own face and Garth is petrified of the leprechaun. So every time this movie is on, it reminds me of Wayne's World, which can't be a bad thing. The one thing I kind of have a little bit of an issue with, and it's not a massive one, is the payoff line at the end, which they must have thought was so funny when they wrote it, and just fought to keep it in. And the line is, the kid dispatches the leprechaun with the line, fuck you, lucky charms. Now, on the page, that must have looked hilarious. On a movie screen, that doesn't really work. Lucky charms are kind of a, more of an American thing anyway, so culturally it might not have crossed the barriers. 
But even if you know what the serial is, it's just like, yeah, that's not a good payoff line. They could have thought of something better than that. Yeah, it's uh, it just kind of ends there. There's just kind of no conclusion as such. It just, it's very abrupt. They're just like, right, run out of time. Now let's just cut it there. There's no, no kind of epilogue, see how the characters are suffering the trauma of the leprechaun. But there we go. Yeah, I think... This, as you say, it's definitely got that PG-13 horror vibe. Whereas Megan, for example, has been nowadays been so successful because it knew how to toe the line between appealing to younger horror audiences but keeping it interesting enough for the more seasoned horror audiences. That film works without the blood and gore. I'm excited to see it with the blood and gore, however, just to see the difference. But for the theatrical release, I was quite happy with how it turned out and... This could have had that, but obviously in a very campy 90s way, a bit, as you say, creaky. And, and I think that that's where it, like, you, you just think, oh, I could actually show this to a young kid, but it is the kind of nastiness of it that maybe you want to pull back from. So yeah. I think if they just cut away and didn't show that level of violence in it, it might have held up a bit more in a gremlins type way i suppose because it is pointing that way for most of the movie and mm-hmm. the nasty bits do feel a bit grafted on because most of the stuff is very cheery and quite innocent but then you get these fairly nasty kill sequences which don't really sit well but i guess people like me who quite liked gore in the sort of late 90s early noughties and just wanted to put something on having had quite a few beers and oh there's a bit of blood in this I guess I got something out of that, but looking at it with a clearer head in all manner of that phrase, yeah, it, it just falls between two stools, this, which is a, a shame, really, because it needed to be one thing or the other, and the one thing it should have been was the kid-friendly version, because that would have been a lot more fun. Interestingly, it continues with the fascination all the way to the end credits, because some of the thank yous on the end credits are extremely interesting, So you get a thank you to George Lucas. You also get a thank you to Vice President Dan Quayle of the time. And this was because Dan Quayle expedited Warwick Davis's visa so that he could come and work on the movie. Now, normally kind of visas get held up for all sorts of reasons, but apparently Dan Quayle was instrumental in getting Warwick Davis to work on the movie. George Lucas had Warwick Davis under contract to Lucasfilm at the time, but allowed Warwick Davis to come and shoot Leprechaun. So that's why George Lucas is on there. So it's even an interesting movie in its credits. So I'll give it that. Yeah, that's a really cool fact. And and it is really interesting how they did release him from his contract to go and act in this movie. I think that's really interesting how George Lucas, big film director of one of the biggest franchises in the whole world, basically lets one of his actors go and do there's this really like low budget horror movie. I think that's a pretty cool fact and really interesting in terms of the legacy of this film and all the facts behind it. So yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about Leprechaun. It is a film that, you know, I look back at fondly. It shapes my horror viewing habits and was part of all the movies that shape my interest. But it's just not one that I could ever call a favourite and that I want to revisit that often but I do like it to a point. It's a very, very strange uh, relationship I've got here with this film. 
Yeah, I mean, it took a critical battering at the time. Not mm. many of the American press were very kind to it. I think a couple of people saw that some of it was quite imaginative, but most people thought it was terrible. But to be perfectly honest, it wasn't aimed at them. It was made for about a million bucks. It took about eight and a half million at the box office and then sold a 100,000 copies on VHS. So the laugh's on them, really. Who cares what critics think? Basically, it's the audience. But having said, who cares what critics think? then I guess we're going to end up saying what critics think because we're going to go to the scores at some point. <laughs> of course, definitely. So IMDb have given it a 4.8 out of 10. It has a 27% tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes and a 32% audience score. So very, very low. But I think this movie, I can imagine going to a horror convention and if there were any actors from this movie there or like any anniversary screenings, I can see this very much being a cult classic, a troll to a room type atmosphere to this. I could see people really getting into it. And it definitely found its audience on VHS. And I imagine it is mostly dedicated horror fans. I can't see really anyone outside of the genre really appreciating this for what it is. But at the same time, it is that type of movie that if you're not a huge fan of horror, it's more of a comforting one because it's not scary in the slightest. But if you can't handle the gore, then that's off-putting. It's, 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 you know, kind of, as I say, middle ground here. I'm not really sure if this could appeal to non-horror audiences. Mm. But it's it's good fun. It's good fun. And I think maybe a big screen viewing of it would do it more justice when you've got that bad movie club atmosphere going. So. I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this film. It was cool to rewatch it. I don't think I want to watch it again unless it is part of an audience. I think that's the only way you'd get me to watch it again. But I would watch the, the tricycle clip on loop because yeah. that's just so funny and yeah. surreal and I love it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any Anything to do with Leprechaun and vehicles in this movie is well worth seeing. You might have to plough through some fairly boring talky bits. And also you can actually have quite a fun game playing spot where Warwick Davis's accent is because it's in Ireland at some point it's in Britain at some point it's somewhere else at some point there's that fun side of it I mean that's not to take anything away from his performance because he is really good in this so you know nitpicking about whether his Irish accent is spot on in a movie called Leprechaun which was a low budget horror which is about some mythical creature trying to get his gold back i mean you know it's not the oscars it's not like oh, oh it's terrible because his, ac his irish accent isn't perfect called daniel day lewis it's not that sort of thing anybody that's not really of a horror persuasion is probably gonna watch this and just go what the fuck am i watching which <laughs> is perfectly natural and it's an understandable reaction but there are people like us We'll take that sort of what the fuck am I watching? It's like, oh, and I'll tell you exactly what the fuck I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching a movie called Leprechaun with a tiny bad guy menacing much bigger people and ripping people's faces off. Cool. I'm pretending to be a cat. I mean, you know, can't exactly. get more inventive than that. Exactly. But I think for Warwick Davis, it is one of his favourite roles that he's played. He does look back with fondness over this. And... He even got Jennifer Aniston to apologise for being embarrassed for it. So, yeah, good, um, good on you, Warwick. She shouldn't, yeah. she shouldn't be embarrassed. This is not, this is not a terrible movie. 
I defy her to find somebody who has got a debut movie in their filmography, a big star whose debut movie in their filmography is a hundred times better than this. It's not going to happen an awful lot. I mean, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was in He Knows You're Alone. It's not great. It's all right. And I don't think Tom Hanks is going around saying that He Knows You're Alone is not a part of his filmography. In fact, I think he actually kind of embraces the fact that he's got his start in a horror movie because it's quite a good character in the movie. Everybody likes him. Take a leaf out of Tom's book, Jennifer. Embrace the horror. And a lot of actors got their starts on horror movies. I mean, Johnny Depp, for example. I think horror movie is a good gateway into the acting scene. You've got to do a horror movie before you do anything of a higher calibre. Absolutely. It's not a dirty thing, Jen. Just embrace it. (laughs) I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 91 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out more of our content, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Episode 92 is coming soon. And after a couple of episodes delving into the darker side of humanity, it's time for something to cleanse the palate a little. It's something a little more romantic Something light years away from Leprechaun. It is 2016's The Irresistible Blueberry Farm. (laughs) I can't even say the title without laughing. I'm very excited to watch this film. I do love blueberries. I eat them for breakfast every day. So this might be just up my street. And I hope it is up yours too. Join us next time for a bit of romance and blueberries. <laughs> oh, oh dear. I'm sorry. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Haley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.